Welcome to the Covenant Life Center podcast. Our goal is that this message builds your faith and gives you hope. Enjoy the message. We're so excited as we continue this series called First Fruits. Can somebody help me say that this morning? Somebody say First Fruits. So we are actually on part three of a series called First Fruits, and I've had the privilege and honor to be able to speak the past two weeks And I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, to check out these messages, check them out on the app, check them out on the YouTube channel. I pray that it's a blessing to you. I know that these messages and this series has also been a blessing to me as well as I've just been able to study, to prepare, to pray, and to preach to you guys. So I pray that you're getting fed. I hope that God's just filling you up. And we're really excited because, you know, for those that don't know what it means when we say first fruits, whenever we talk about first fruits in this series, we're talking about honoring God with the first and with the best portion that we have. Not just of our finances, but also when it comes to our time and when it comes to our talent. And the amazing thing about the word first fruits, if you can look at scripture and look at the origin, uh, the original word, which is bikram, that actually translates to promise to come. So that means that there is a promise, that there is a blessing attached to us, God, giving our first and our best. So that's why next Sunday, somebody say next Sunday, we are having an opportunity to go above and beyond our regular giving with our first fruits offering. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that exciting? And not only that, but I believe that next week may be the most powerful message of the series. And you do not want to miss this next week. So I do want to say this real quick, too, before we get to the message that whenever you give of your tithes, whenever you give of your offering, whenever we give of our first fruits offering this next week, we're giving through the church, but we're really giving to God. We believe that we aren't just putting our finances and what God's blessed and trusted us with in buckets or in a box or through online transaction, but we believe that we are giving our finances and we are giving of our treasure and we're putting it in the hands of God. We believe that we're putting it in the hands of God. So I want to ask you guys to do two things as we get ready for next week. Number one, I want you to pray. Pray about whatever amount God has laid on your heart to go above and beyond your regular giving. You know, Pastor Bobby talked last week, talked about the vision for this year and everything that we have planned as we go into this next year and what we plan to do with the First Fruits offering. And we're so excited about everything that God is doing and the expansion and the growth here at Covenant Life Center. So excited about the future. Anybody excited for the future? It's going to be a good year. So number one, pray about it. And number two, give with a cheerful heart. Give with a cheerful heart. Know that we've received freely, so we're going to give freely as well. Amen? So with that being said, we're about to get into the Word of God. You can turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. You don't have to stand up yet. We're going to be taking a look at Genesis chapter 22, verse 1 through 14. And today... What I want us to do, I want us to take a look at one of the most famous pieces of ancient literature that there is. And before you read that, before you look at that, pay attention right here for a minute. We're going to be looking at one of the most famous pieces of ancient literature that there is, and that's the story of Abraham and Isaac. And specifically, I want us to take a look at whenever God asked Abraham to give up and sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Now, you have to understand this. Isaac was the first and only son of Abraham and Sarah. The first and only son, and we notice a pattern throughout scripture where God asked us to bring him the first and the best portion that we have. But what's different in this passage of scripture that God doesn't ask Abraham to bring the firstborn animal. 
But he actually asked Abraham, God asked Abraham to bring his firstborn son. So it wasn't just the first fruits of a crop or the firstborn of a flock, but it was his firstborn son. Now, a lot of us, we, we hear that. We may be used to hearing the story, but there may be some people in here and even outside of church that hear something like that when it came to what God asked Abraham to do and think to himself, what kind of God would ask someone to do that? Like, it seems barbaric. It seems unnecessary. Like, what's the point of God asking to do that? You have to understand this. Abraham was a man of faith. And he knew, in his heart, he knew that Isaac was going to be just fine. Now, God would never ask any of us to do this today, but we have to understand this. Why did, why did God ask Abraham? Because Abraham, you have to understand this. Abraham, he was a part of a different time period. It was a different historical context during that time period. And also, you have to understand that this story and this scripture is part of a much larger story. And this wasn't the first time that Abraham was tested either. Abraham was tested time and time and time again. And Abraham knew this, that God is love, God is perfect, and God will never make a mistake. Therefore, he was fully obedient to God because he knew that God was love. Amen? So you understand that this morning? So what, us, what I want us to do, if you're willing and able this morning, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. And we welcome those that are joining us online as well. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1 through 14. And it says this right here. I'll give you a second to get there. Now it says, now it came to pass. Somebody say pass. After these things that God tested Abraham. Somebody say tested. And said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him. And Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose. And he went to the place where God had told him. I want you guys to pay attention to this. It's important for what we're going to talk about. He went to the place where God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. So he carried the wood. And it says, he took the fire in his hand, Abraham, and a knife. And the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Somebody say, God will provide. So the two of them went together. Then they came to a place of which God had told them. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind them was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So there's a lamb, in other words, caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it for a burnt offering instead of his son. And here's the last part right here. And it says this, and Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. I know that may be a lot to take in. And in fact, you know, there is just so much jam-packed 
within these 14 verses that we read that we could actually spend just about all day breaking it down piece by piece and part by part. And I could preach this so many different ways. But as I was praying and as I was reading, as I was studying, God kept on giving me direction on what he wanted us to talk about specifically. And it's in the first verse right here. That's going to kind of lead us in the direction that we're going to be going. So you can turn with me back to that first verse and look at that right there on the screen. It says this. Now it came to pass. Somebody say pass again. And these things that God tested. Somebody say tested. Abraham. So get this. This is actually the first time in scripture that the word tested or test is used. It's the first time. And today I want to talk about how God tests us. So the message title for this morning, if you're taking notes, I encourage you, this is going to be one of those sermons where you're going to want to take notes. The sermon title is this, Passing the Test. Passing the Test. Because the truth is God still, God still allows us to be tested today. And I want to help you. I want to do my absolute best to serve you guys and make sure that you pass every single test that you come in contact with with flying colors. That's what I want to do. So before you take a seat, turn to the person next to you, give them a high five, and say class is now in session. And after you've done that, you can go ahead and be seated. Come on, pass, passing the test. You know, I don't usually or normally start off messages like this, but I heard a joke and I wanted to share it with you guys. We'll find out or not. We'll find out in a second if you think it's funny or not. But there was once a doctor, there was once a doctor and this doctor had a patient that he was doing tests with and the patient was awaiting the test results. So the doctor actually went to the patient and he began to talk to the patient about the test results and the, the doctor sadly said, he said, sir, I am so sorry, and I'm, I, I, it's unfortunate for me to let you know that the test reveal and the test show that you only have 10 more to live. And the man says, 10? 10 what? 10 decades, 10 years, 10 months, 10 days, 10 minutes. Like, what, how, 10 what? And the doctor calmly replies back, nine. <laughs> so he's going to process to y'all in a second. He said nine, so nine seconds, Okay. So get this, you know, the reason I shared that with you guys is this, because the truth of the matter is, you know, life is a lesson, and life is full of tests. Life is a lesson, and life is full of tests. Now, whenever I said test this morning, whenever I talk about tests right now, you know, you may be asking yourself, Caleb, what do you mean by test? Like, what does it mean to be tested? Like, how do I know if God is testing me right now? Well, one of the ways that we can tell if God is testing us most of the time is whenever God asks us, to do something that we really don't feel like doing. Whether that's giving up something that's important to us and we give it to him, or maybe it's to forgive or love someone that did you wrong or betrayed you. Come on, somebody, I know that's tough. Or, or maybe during this first fruits offering, God has put an amount on your heart for you to give to him. And that may be a test for some of you. And not only that, but God will actually allow certain situations to take place in our life for us to have our faith tested. Because I've realized it's really easy to trust and have faith in God whenever things are going good, but it's not so hard to have trust and faith in God whenever things are going bad. See, we can have trust in God, but it becomes much harder whenever we get a phone call from a doctor with bad news. It can be, we can have trust in God, but it becomes harder sometimes to have trust in God whenever the person that we love and are in love with breaks our heart, breaks us down, and breaks up with us. 
We can have faith and trust in God, but it can be tougher whenever we lose that job that we thought we were going to have for a longer period of time. And these are examples of storms that we have in life. And we're not called just to worship God in the good times. We are called to worship God in the bad times, on the mountaintops and the valleys. Amen? See, I'm not saying that God caused it, but I am saying that God can still use it. Whatever test that you're going through. See, why did God test Abraham? Because the truth is, we are all going to face tests in life. Tests come in all different shapes and sizes. You know, even Jesus Christ was tested. And I don't think any of us right here in this room are, are a big fan of tests. Whenever it comes to taking a test, we're not a big fan of that. But I, I do know this, that we may not like taking tests, but we like things that are tested. We may not like tests, but we, we like things that are tested. For example, aren't you thankful that that nice car that you drove in this Sunday morning, that before you ever drove it out on the road and you ever bought it from the dealership, wherever you got it from, that it first had to go through a safety test and that its brakes first had to be tested? Or what about this, the people on the road that you drive alongside with? Aren't you thankful that they had to go through a driver's test, a permit test, in order? some of them need to get more, more testing, right? We need to have more strenuous testing, okay, for some of them, okay? Nobody in here, nobody in here. Or I'm thankful that my doctor is not just a good person that likes to help people. I'm thankful that my doctor went through the testing and the education necessary, and he went through the process so that way he can practice the profession on people. And I don't want to put any medicine into my system that hasn't been tested either. Why? Because whatever hasn't been tested cannot be trusted. Whatever hasn't been tested cannot be trusted. And guess what? Abraham knew this. Abraham knew this. But you have to understand that this wasn't Abraham's first test. This was not Abraham's first test. In fact, Abraham was tested whenever God asked him to leave a region that was familiar to him and go to a foreign region and that God would bless him and make him into a great nation. He had to go to the land of Canaan, right? So that was a test. And then God tested him again whenever he let Lot, his nephew, choose which region to inhabit instead of Abraham himself making the decision. And Abraham was tested again whenever he was at the age of 75, whenever God told him that he was going to bless Abraham with the child who would be later known as Isaac. But you have to understand that it took 25 years from the moment that Abraham received the promise from when Isaac was born. And within the first 10 years, in fact, Abraham and Sarah became so impatient and they thought it was so impossible and so hard that it says that Sarah actually told Abraham and instructed Abraham to go and sleep and conceive a child with her maidservant, Hagar. And that's whenever Ishmael was born. But the problem was Ishmael wasn't God's promised son to Abraham. Isaac was God's promised son to Abraham. And some of us look at that situation and see what Abraham did and Sarah did. And, you know, a lot of times we think to ourselves, what a fail, what a failure, what a, make, what, a, what a mistake. And we like to label people a lot of times. But I have some good news for you. If, if you feel like you've been tested by God and you failed in a certain area, or maybe you're being tested by God right now, and maybe you feel like you're failing right now, you being a follower of Jesus, being a believer of God, I feel the anointing this morning, that you being a follower of Jesus, there's no such thing as losses. There are only such thing as lessons. And God will often send you the same test again, and again, and again, until you pass it, because he loves you. See, though a righteous man fall down seven times, he will rise again. Anybody thankful that we serve a God 
that gives us chance after chance after chance after chance. And Abraham was tested time and time again. And I say that to say this, because we need to understand that the reward for finishing a test or completing a test or passing a test is another test. We look forward to passing a test, but guess what? There's another test. You can find this in the school system. You know what the reward is for passing the third grade? A harder test in the fourth grade. There's <laughs> one test after another test, and guess what? Abraham, being tested and tried again and again, is facing his biggest test, and that is offering up his son Isaac. And that took faith, and that was tough. But Abraham was faithful because God had prepared him with previous tests. We see that in Hebrews chapter 11, that Abraham had faith because the author of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews chapter 11, and you, some people call this chapter the hall of faith, where it talks about people in scripture, patriarchs, and people in scripture that actually put their faith into action like Abraham. And it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 through 19, it says this, it says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it is said, and Isaac, your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Now think about this. The reason that Abraham was willing to offer up Isaac was because Abraham had enough faith that God could actually raise Isaac from the dead. Think about this. I believe that one of the reasons that Abraham had that faith it's because in a previous test, his wife's womb, Sarah's womb, was dead. And she wasn't able to conceive a child. And Abraham had saw how God had resurrected Sarah's womb. And I can imagine Abraham in his mind thinking to himself, if God did it once, surely God can do it again. And God promised Abraham that he would bring forth a great nation and that he would bless his loins. So he went through a test, and he received a word, and he knew that God would be faithful to his word. I have some good news for you this morning. Before God allows any test in your life, know that he has already been preparing you for it, and he knows that you can pass it. Somebody say, I can pass it. Now, get this. God had confidence in Abraham. You know how we know that God had confidence in Abraham? Because God only spoke to Abraham two times in this moment. Whenever he had that first initial conversation with Abraham, and he told him what to do, which was to take his son Isaac. And what we find out is God doesn't talk to Abraham until Abraham followed through with what God told him to do. And there's a three-day gap. Now think about this. Three-day gap where God doesn't talk to Abraham or Isaac. Three days. So he gathers all of his things. I'm sure he's thinking about things in his mind. Is this really what God wants me to do? He's thinking about these things probably. He packs everything up. He takes two guys with him. He takes his son. They, they travel for three days. They get to the base of Mount Moriah. They, they get there. They get their supplies. They begin to travel up the mountain. Guess what? What God says in that time? God says nothing. God says nothing. You remember whenever you were in school and you were taking a test and you saw the teacher roaming around the room? and you knew that they knew the answer to the test, and you get stumped on a question, and you're like, what in the world do I do? And the teacher's walking around, and you ask the teacher sometimes, hey, teacher, can you help me? And most of the time, the teacher was silent. She was like, and she didn't answer 
your question? The reason being is because the teacher knew that she had already prepared you beforehand. And I just want to tell somebody this morning that feels like they're being tested right now. And they're going through a testing. Maybe you're going through a testing in your health. Maybe you're going through a testing in your marriage. Maybe you're going through a testing in your family. Maybe you're going through a testing in your finances, and things are not easy. Things are hard. Things are tough. Things are rough. And you're asking God, God, where are you right now in this moment? And it seems like God is absent. I just want to remind you with this, that the teacher is absent. Is, the teacher is usually silent during the test. And we should never mistake the silence of God for the absence of God. Don't ever mistake the silence of God for the absence of God because the truth is God has been preparing you for this test. God has been preparing you for this moment. His spirit is overlooking you. His spirit is guiding you. God is not just with you. The Holy Spirit is actually within you. God will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Can I hear an amen? So what I want to do this morning, I want to give you guys three points this morning on why God tests us and how we, resp- how we should respond to God's test. And the first point, and one of the reasons God tests us is because, number one, tests reveal our hearts. Tests reveal our hearts. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this before, but all the guys in my family, we all wear glasses. But none of the girls wear glasses. And I didn't always wear glasses. In fact, I had to start wearing glasses my junior year of high school. And it happened whenever I was in a math class, and I sat in the back of the classroom. And as time went on, my vision began to get, began to get blurry. And I moved up a little closer and a little bit closer, and eventually I sat up in the very front of the room. And I sat in the very front of the room, and I talked to the teacher. I said, teacher, I don't know what's going on. I talked to my parents. I said, Mom, Dad, like, I don't know what's going on. And you know what they told me? They said, Caleb, you need to go to the eye doctor, and you need to get an eye exam test. So I go get an eye test, I sit down, and, you know, they begin to put all the letters on the board, and they begin to cycle through all the different lenses. And I won't forget, whenever they put a certain lens on, the ones that I'm wearing now, it was like a whole new, anybody remember that moment? It was like, oh my goodness, like, it blew my mind, like, I've been missing, and, and so here's the thing, like, maybe my vision was kind of bad my whole life, but then it just got worse all of a sudden, I don't know. But I remember that moment, thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I can see so much better, see? The eye doctor used that exam test for me to know the condition of my eyes. And God will use tests in order for us to know the condition of our hearts. And the doctor had to test me, and the Holy Spirit will actually test us sometimes in life to give us a prognosis so that way we know where our hearts really are, so that way we can have a fresh perspective to see what's going on. Check out what Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 says. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Notice how it says in the beginning, the eyes of your heart. Because maybe you're saying to yourself, wait, the eyes, like, like my, my heart has eyes? You have to understand this whenever you're reading the scripture and you see the word heart. That whenever the Bible talks about the heart, it's not really talking about the physical pump in your chest as, as, much, as much as it's talking about the core of your being and the values that drive you and your true inner self. That, that's why Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, trust in the Lord with all your, not, actually, that's another one, that's, Psalm, that's another psalm. It says this, above all else, guard your heart because out of it flows everything that you do. It flows the issues of life. See, 
with our heart, that's how we see and perceive things a lot of times, through the lens of our heart. And also, that's how we respond to things in life as well. And God will use tests for us to see where our hearts really are. And that's what he did with Abraham. And some of us are going through tests right now. And God actually wants to use that as an opportunity for us to see where our hearts are really at and in order for us to adjust our hearts. Amen? Check out what Psalm chapter 26, verse 2 says. It says this, test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. Read that one more time. It says this, test me, Lord. Somebody say, test me, Lord. And try me. Examine my heart and my mind. This is crazy because David is asking God to test him. David is asking God, like, when's the last time that you ever, ever asked God to test you? Like, most of the time, we don't ask for tests. We avoid tests, right? We, we avoid tests a lot of times. But I think Abraham grabbed a hold of something that was significant. And it was this, that he knew that the more that he was tested, the more that he could be trusted by God and entrusted to carry out God's will on the earth and be, and be blessed with his blessings. He knew it, and he said this. He said, examine my heart. And that's what we need, we need to understand, that God is really after our hearts above all else. See, Jesus is after our heart. See, Jesus didn't die for behavior modification. Jesus Christ died for heart transformation. He didn't die for behavior modification. He died for heart transformation. So when we give on the 26, what we're doing is we're saying in our hearts, God, I put you first. I honor you. God, I love you. I, I, I just want to worship you. God, I give you my heart. So the first point this morning is test, reveal our hearts. Somebody say test, reveal our hearts. This is making sense to anybody this morning. Come on, you guys, it's going to be good. All right, here's the second point right here. When it comes to passing the test, you have to show your work. Somebody say, show your work. Show your work, show your work. You remember in school whenever you were taking the test and you get to a certain question, and these are my least favorite questions. Because at the very bottom of the question, it says, show your work. So in order for you to get credit for that question, in order for you to get it right, you couldn't just circle or bubble or fill in the blank. You actually had to show your work. And then once you did that, you would get credit for the question, right? See, that's how it is a lot of times when it comes to tests in our life. God asks us to just to show our work. And it's not like that for every test. Just, just us showing our work. And the reason I say that is this. Because we can look at the story of Abraham and Sarah and see what we mentioned earlier. Because it says it took 25 years for them to conceive a child. It took 25 years for them to conceive a child. And it didn't matter how much they worked, how much they hustled, how much they grinded. It, that didn't matter. All they could do was wait on God for Isaac to come and Isaac to be manifested. That They had to wait. So that tells me this. There are some tests that require us to wait, and there are other tests that require us to work. And sometimes it's both. Whether you're waiting for the right spouse, right, waiting for the right you know, husband, you're waiting for the right wife, or maybe you're, you're waiting right now for a child. I know there's people here in this church that waited for years, over eight years for a child, like the Greens over there, and God blessed them with two beautiful baby girls, Pearl and Summer. They waited on God. See, this is, this is what I've learned about God. God is never too late, and God is never too early. God is always on time. His, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And maybe the reason that God allowed Abraham and Sarah to wait that long is because he wanted them to know that it wasn't because of them that Isaac came to be, but it was because of God. 
because it was impossible. So think about this. So Abraham, he waited on God. And I want you guys to get this. Abraham waited on God for Isaac. But now God asked Isaac to offer his son back up to God. And that required work. We know it required work because not only was Isaac Abraham's only begotten son, but you know the distance between where Mount Moriah was and where Isaac and uh, Abraham was was about 50 miles? And they didn't have vehicles like we have today. It says that they traveled on a donkey to where they were supposed to go. And then when they got to the base of Mount Moriah, that it says they got their supplies, that Isaac actually carried wood on his back, and he traveled up to Mount Moriah, and they were on top of Mount Moriah where the altar was. Think about this, because I know we have some theologians that already caught the correlation and the parallel already this morning. Think about this. Wasn't there somebody else in Scripture by the name of Jesus that was the only begotten of the Father? And that whenever he came into Jerusalem during the week of his crucifixion, it says he came in on a donkey, and he carried wood on his back. He carried the cross on his back to Mount Golgotha. And on top of that, did you know that Mount Golgotha, where Jesus Christ gave his life, was only a couple hundred yards away from where Mount Moriah was? See, you cannot fully understand Isaac if you don't fully understand Jesus. It was a foreshadowing of what was to come. The whole Bible is about Jesus Christ. And think about this. Jesus is the true, and Jesus is the better Isaac. I promise you, your whole world will change. Your devotion life will change whenever you read Scripture and you begin to see Jesus. Jesus is in, Revela he's in Revelation. He's all the way in Genesis from beginning to end, all 66 books. All 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 20, 27 in the New Testament, all of it points to Jesus Christ. See, it points to Jesus. Now, here, here's, here's the common denominator between both stories. Here's the common denominator. Abraham and Isaac were willing to show the work, and Jesus was willing to show the work. We know this because Abraham didn't just say that he loved God. He showed us that he loved God by what he did, Right? How many people are thankful that Jesus didn't just say that he loved us? He showed us that he loved us. Let me, let me explain to you why. God showed us, Jesus showed us that he loved us whenever he was in the garden and the Roman soldiers came and Judas came and he betrayed him and his disciples scattered and left him and he was abandoned. That's when he showed us that he loved us. He showed us that he loved us whenever he stood before Pilate and he stood before the crowd, and he was wrongfully accused. He showed us that he loved us whenever he was spit on, mocked upon. He was beaten. He showed us that he loved us whenever he took the crown of thorns on his head. He showed us that he loved us whenever he was at the whipping post, being beaten and flogged, and he became disfigured and blood spilt out. He showed us that he loved us whenever he carried the cross up to Calvary. He showed us that he loved us whenever he got on Calvary, and he took nails in his hands. He took nails in his feet. He, he showed us that he loved us when he was hanging up on the cross. Come on, I wish somebody would get excited. This makes me want to cry. He showed us that he loved us whenever he was on the cross. He was gasping for air and he said, it is finished. And he gave up the ghost and he gave his life. He showed us that he loved us whenever he was in the belly of hell for three days. He was beaten. The enemy thought they won. And guess what? He showed us that he loved us whenever he rose on the third day full of power and authority, defeating death, defeating hell and the grave. Is there anybody here that's thankful that Jesus didn't just say that he loved us, but 
but Jesus Christ actually showed us that he loved us through his actions. And it's that love, church. It's that church. It's, it's that love. It's that love that should compel us to do. That's, it's that love that should, compel us for, that should compel us to show our love to God. That same love. See, we love because Christ first loved us. We were unlovable. See, God doesn't love you because you're just lovable. God loves you because he is love. And I'm not saying that we have to do good works to earn God's love. See, we do not achieve God's love. We receive God's love. It's not dictated by our performance. So we do not do good works to get God's love. We do good, good works because of God's love, because God is not for sale. And that's why we come to church. That's why I serve. That's why I give. That's why I give him my time, my talent, and my treasure and everything, because Jesus gave it all, and I'm going to give my all, because I love him. Anybody love him this morning? Thank you, God. See, it's great to have faith, but faith alone isn't enough. We have to show God our work. Check out what James chapter 2, verse 26 says. It says, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So we have to show our work. And I do want to say one thing because... I don't want you to hear just work, 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 work. It's not just about working alone. It's really about knowing Jesus Christ in an intimate, personal way, knowing his voice. See, if we're not careful, we can actually do the work of the Lord without knowing the Lord of the work. We can do the work of the Lord without knowing the Lord, the, the, the Lord of the work. I don't want to just know about God. I want to know Jesus. And my last point this morning is this. This is helping somebody out this morning. we got to show our work. Somebody say, show your work. I feel the anointing this morning, man. The last point is this. God has prepared blessings. God has prepared blessings. Somebody say, God has prepared blessings. You know, the story ends with this. The story ends with this. It says that Abraham, he had the dagger. He had the knife. He was fixing to come down on his son. But it says, before he did, that God stopped him and God spoke. And that whenever God spoke, Abraham stopped. And it says that he looked up, right? And it says that he looked behind him. And there was a ram, or you can call it a lamb, caught in the thicket. And he took that lamb and he used that as an exchange. And he used that as a sacrifice to honor God. He used that as a sacrifice to honor God. Now think about this. Now get this. In order for the lamb to have its horn stuck in the thicket, it couldn't, it couldn't have been just a um, baby lamb. Have its horn stuck in the thicket. It had to have been developed. It had to have been growing, maybe even fully matured. So over time, this lamb was growing, maturing, probably traveling to different regions. And people saw this, this ram. Some people may be like, that, was, that thing has huge horns, right? But God had actually destined and purposed that lamb to be in that position on Mount Moriah during that exact moment to be a substitute for Isaac. You know, and as I was thinking about that, God reminded me of a story. You know, because I, I don't know if we have any hunters in the building, but you're in South Texas, so you're bound to hear a deer story or two, so I'm going to share mine with you real quick. And if you're not a hunter, I know that you've had some deer sausage, some deer steak in your freezer before at one point, or you've eaten a burger, so you know what? Just listen to the story, okay? So... A while back, 
a while back, years and years ago, someone had blessed me and my dad with an opportunity to go on a deer hunt. And someone said, if you see this certain type of deer, an axis deer, that whenever you see it, take the shot. You, you can take an axis deer. Is a, it, it's an awesome deer. It's, it's better than just a whitetail. And so me and my dad, we go on this hunt, and I've never shot a gun before. I've never been on a hunt before. And me and my dad rise early in the morning, and we get in the deer blind before the sun even comes up and hours pass by. And we see all these different buck come through, all these different white-tailed deer come through, right? And every time I see that, I get excited because it's my very first time, right? I was a little trigger happy. I was like, oh, my gosh, like, look at that deer. Like, Dad, that would be awesome, right? Like, let's get it. But my dad said this. He was in the blind with me. He said, son, wait. Just wait. Be patient. There's something better. So those, those deer wandered off. And eventually, this axis buck with huge antlers, was about 300 yards away. And it was with two other doe, two other female deer. And it was about 300 yards away. And I said, oh my goodness, dad, you see that? He's like, yeah, you see that? And we had the binoculars. And, you know, I could have taken the shot right there in the moment, but my dad said, no, son, don't take the shot. It's too much, too much of a risk. I said, yeah, you're right. So I was hoping it would get closer and closer, but it actually ended up going further and further over the mountains where we didn't see it anymore. And I was a little bummed out. I was like, oh my goodness, like I won't be able to get that, won't be able to get that deer anymore. And something crazy happened. 180 degrees right behind us, we look back, and guess what we see? We see that deer coming back. But this time it's not with the doe, it's by itself. And there's this brush line, you gotta visualize it. There's this brush line that's obstructing the view of us seeing the deer with fence, with brush, and with trees. And in that brush line, there's about a five-yard gap, and it's about 75 yards away. And the deer's walking, and it's walking, and it stop, it, it's passing and crossing that five-yard gap. And as soon as it stops right there in the five-yard gap, you know what it does? It stands still like a deer in headlights and turns and look at it, looks at us. And my dad said, I remember this, he said, son, take the shot. Somebody say, take the shot. He said, son, take the shot. I remember I took the shot. And I was able to get the deer. First time shooting a gun and first hunt ever. Now, the reason I share that story is because of this. Maybe God gave me that story because God wants to speak to a hunter in here this morning. I don't know if it's just for one person. I was able to get that access buck because I was obedient to my father. I was able to, it was almost as if my, my dad, my father, prepared a blessing for me in, a, in advance and all I had to do was be obedient to him. And God spoke to me, and he, he told me to tell somebody this this morning, that God has been preparing blessings for you. And he has been stockpiling blessings for you. And he has set some things aside for you. And he wants to begin to bless you in ways that are greater than you could ever imagine. And all you have to do is be obedient and be obedient to his voice. Be obedient to the Father's voice. Just like God, just like God prepared the lamb to be there, there are blessings that God has put to the side and he's prepared just for you with your name on it. I love what Psalm says. Psalm says that God has prepared a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And there are some blessings for people in here this morning with your name on it that God has prepared for you. There are some businesses. There are some job opportunities. There are some employees. There are some employers. There is healing. There is restoration. There are things that God wants to begin to overflow in your life. And all you have to do is be obedient 
and listen to the voice of the Father. And not only be obedient, but have faith. Somebody say have faith. faith. You know, it says that we know that Abraham had faith. We know that Abraham had faith whenever God asked him to do what he called him to do with Isaac because it says that as soon as Isaac, as soon as Abraham got told by God to take Isaac to Mount Moriah, you know that Abraham didn't hesitate. It says that he got his things together and he left immediately the next morning. He didn't negotiate with God. He didn't argue with God. He didn't do any of those things. He didn't debate with God. He said, God, that's what you want me to do. I'll do it. Done. I really do wonder how obedient we are to God, even when it comes to doing things in a timely manner. Maybe God has impressed us to serve or to give or to love and forgive someone, forgiving someone that maybe we've had a grudge or bitterness towards for such a long time, and God's saying, let it go, let it go. And we said, I'll let it go, God but I'll wait for that. I'll give God, but I'll wait for that. God, I'll serve, but I'll wait for that. I'll do what you told me to do for the past 10 years, but I'm going to wait for it. But don't be confused. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. And I can't specifically tell you what God has asked you to do. Only you may know that. So during this fast and during this first fruits offering, ask God what he would like you to do. And don't do it because we say it. Do it because God impresses it and puts it on your heart to do it. Because obedience brings blessings. And this is what you need to do. You need to have it in your mind already that God's going to meet you as you take a step of faith and you're obedient to him. Like, you need to have it in your mind that before you even go, like, God has prepared blessings and that God's going to meet you. He's going to meet you as you take a step. You know how we know that Abraham had that mindset? Guess, get, get this. It says that before Abraham went up to Mount Moriah, that he turned to the two men. And you know what he told the two men? He said, wait right here. Me and my son Isaac are going to go up to Mount Moriah, and we're going to go worship God, and we're going to come back. So that tells me that whenever we give to God, it's not just about giving to God. It's really about worshiping God. And also, he had it in his mind already that God was going to meet him because faith honors God, and God honors faith. And he knew that Isaac was going to be okay and that he was going to come back with his son. And guess what? As you give this next week and as you give of your time, talent, and treasure, you need to have that mindset that God is going to meet you right where you are. That as you take a step of faith and you press forward, that God's going to meet you every single step of the way. You know, it says in Scripture, it says the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. The steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Haley. You can come up. Haley, you can come up. Oh, she's already up. Okay, cool. She's quick. She like teleported right there for a second. She knows. We're, we're in sync like that, okay? I want to leave you guys with this quote real quick. I want to leave you guys with this quote, and this is a powerful quote. It's this Sometimes God's prevision doesn't become provision until you're obedient to his mission. Is it spelled wrong up here? Oh, it's supposed to be, it's supposed to say sometimes God's prevision, not provision. So imagine it saying prevision with an E. Doesn't become provision. Okay, you guys get that? So what I mean by prevision is what God has prepared for you in advance, what God sees in the future, what God wants to do in your life, things that He has stockpiled and set to the side that He wants to provide you with. Sometimes God's prevision, what God has prevision for your life, won't become provision. It won't manifest into reality. It won't be in your hands until you're obedient to God's mission, what God has told you to do with the, at the beginning. 
That makes sense to you guys? Because some of us know that God's blessed us. We know that God has things set aside for us. And I know that God's blessed us with the property. And I know that God didn't just bless us with the property so that way we could just say we have property. It can sit there and look pretty and we can look at it and drive by it. That land was given to us by God. You know how we got that property? Through God, through giving, through generosity. You know how we got that property? One day we were sitting in the legacy area and we were meeting as a team. And it came out of nowhere. Somebody said, we've been here for a number of years. I don't, I've been praying and I feel like God says that it's time to take a step of faith to move forward and find property. And we all came in agreement. Yeah, I've been feeling the same thing too. And we didn't have our eyes on any property in the past. We didn't have our eyes on any. The only word that we received was seven years beforehand where a little lady came up to my dad in a prayer meeting and she said this. She said, Pastor Bobby, don't worry about property. Don't worry about a building. Don't worry about any of those things. God has property set aside for you. And it's on a road. I, was, I wasn't planning to talk about this, but I want to build somebody's faith. And you may have heard this story. He said, God has property for you, and it's on a road called Salem. Salem. And if you look up what Salem means, that's one of the previous names of Jerusalem, and that actually translates to the word peace. God has something set aside for you on Salem Road. And we didn't even know. Years later, after we took that step of faith, we need to do something about it. And we had that word. You, sometimes you need to have a word and just remember it, hold it on your heart. See, God will keep his promises, but he doesn't keep your potential. You have to take a step of faith. You have to act on it. You have to be obedient. He keeps his promises, but he doesn't keep your potential. You got to act on it. So we, we acted on it. Little did we know that there was a family in our church that owned property that had no idea about that word that was given to my father. And they decided that they were going to begin to start selling some of the property. So they approached our pastor. They approached Pastor Bobby. And they said, Pastor Bobby, we want to bless you guys. We want to bless the church with, with five acres of property. Start off with five acres. And, and it's on a road. It's on, we have the property, and it's on Salem Road. And we told them, and they, they had no idea they were going to cry. But here's the issue. Now it was like, okay, we got, we got the property. Now we need to raise the money for the property. And as soon as we started the building campaign, as soon as we launched it, guess what? Hurricane Harvey came. Hurricane Harvey came, and, and that affected the finances of different things that were going on within the church, right? So we were like, God, what are we going to do? And we felt like God put it on our heart to give back to our community and to serve those in our community. And we were able to feed over 10,000 people through these doors and house people as well. People like, came hey, and partnered with the food bank. Thank God for the food bank of the Golden Crescent. We're like, man, it feels like we're kind of going backwards, but we're being obedient to God. This is what God's called us to do. We're gonna, we're gonna go. It may not make sense. It may not make sense, but we're gonna, we're gonna do it. We're gonna serve. We're gonna give. We're gonna pour ourselves out. And because we did that, a multimillionaire, if, if I'm saying correctly, even a billionaire, heard up north about what we had going on and what we were doing, and he reached out to the de the network of churches that we were associated with, and he said, I see what's going on. I know there's different needs. I'm going to meet other needs for other churches that have broken buildings and messed up everything because he had the resources. He said, send me a list of different things. We sent in a list because under the instruction of our pastor because we didn't want to do that. We wanted other churches to be blessed. And the man responded back by saying, we're going to give you guys over $100,000 to purchase the property. Out of nowhere. Never met the man. And we're able to buy the property. So the reason I say that is this. God has things stockpiled. And he has things put aside in your life. 
And all we have to do is act on it and be obedient. Some people ask me, they ask me, Caleb, when is the building going to be built? When are we going to go out there? See, because honestly, that, it's not just, it's not about the building of the property. It's about the people. There are people, guys, in this city. There are even people in this church that God wants to deliver. He wants to set free. He wants to disciple. He wants to, he wants to come, and he wants to do amazing things in your life. There's some people in this city that need to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. They need to be baptized in water. They need to receive salvation. They need to find community. And that's what's going to happen at the property. That's what's going to happen here. And we have to be obedient to that. People ask me, when, when, when are we going to go out there? When are we going to do that? And honestly, in my back of my mind, I'm like, I wish I knew the time frame. I wish I knew we, we can do our plans. We can do everything. We can set the vision. We can do all this stuff. But all I know is this. We have the first test. And God met us as we stepped out in faith. And I know that as we take another step of faith, that God has prepared us beforehand with the previous test. And if God could do it once, God can do it again. Thank you for listening to the Covenant Life Center podcast. If you enjoyed today's message, then subscribe and follow us on social media at CLC Victoria. Connect with us by visiting our website, clcvictoria.org.